Well, many of you know that before I had gone full time in the seminary, I had a whole nother life working in IT. Working on various levels, be it call centers, be it uh, in-person tech, all that sort of stuff. And invariably, part of my job was the phone would ring and some user, anywhere from being in a shipping department or the CEO's office and everything in between, say, something's not working about my computer, my phone, my tablet, my whatever techno geek stuff we've messed, got to play with. And the first thing we would do as we hear things are out of control and there's some unexplainable thing going on, reboot. We could almost say it before the problem even got fully explained to us, just reboot, start over. And invariably, even outside the office, as people would find out that I had this unique set of skills to be able to, to magically solve problems in the, the technical ether, conversations would always seem to come up. You know, my computer, reboot! Reboot and get off AOL. That's, that was always number two. So, And sometimes people get so frustrated with me, like, I didn't, like, until it worked. And they'd ask me sometimes, well, what was it? What caused the problem? What, what was wrong? And sometimes, tr trick of the trade, it was sort of the solve so many things that we couldn't explain. And when things just went nuts, we just hit the reset button and reboot. <clears throat> I wish I had one of those red easy buttons. Just hit that and restart. Clean slate. So don't ask why, just enjoy your working technology, and we'll see you next time. Fresh start, clean slate. You ever have one of those situations in life that seems so out of control, and like there's so many different things going on and going wrong, you just wish you could have a, re a reboot button? And just restart. Have that, okay, we're starting all over again. Well, in the setup for... Today, God decides he's going to use a reboot button, a reset button, but it's going to go way beyond anything with transistors and resistors and, and power buttons and things like that, as many of those variety of things that we have today, and it goes to hitting a reboot button on all of creation. And today's scene that we're going to dive into today's conversation. It's, it's one slice out of a whole season's worth of drama that's been going on. So allow me to, to recap just a little bit. You know, on last week's episode, with Genesis 6, verses 5 and 6, the Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And many of you probably know the narrative of where this story is going to go. That's why before worship I was talking to a couple people, and I'm like, oh, you know, we're talking about the rain and everything like that. And, and it's like, oh, God set this up beautifully. So I'm not going to lay too much into describing last season's drama. But God hits that reboot button on 
creation. Wipes it out and starts over again. But in the midst of all of the creation that, that grieved him and, and put him sorrowfully to his heart uh, because their inclination was always to evil, found one family that kind of measured up. Eight people. Noah, Mrs. Noah, their three sons, and their wives. Probably at that point, good, bad, or indifferent, the best that creation had to offer. As we see in verse 9, after God has laid out, oh man, I am sorry I made creation. I'm not going to say he made a mistake, but he was sorry about it. These were the descendants of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. He's considered righteous. Now, don't read the compliment too far in. As much as to be called righteous in Scripture is a high compliment, he's certainly not sinless. He's certainly not perfect. That's going to come back around a little bit later on. But I guess I'll give the, the at 10x speed recap of the season. We have the ark, we have the flood, we have the mountain, we have the raven, we have the dove, and the reboot is complete. Creation, short of what is on that boat, has been terminated. And we drop in today on the conversation going on after this has all happened between God and Noah and his family. We drop in and this really is in the middle of a conversation. So different parts will come up to kind of flesh this out a little bit. But this drops in at Genesis 9, verses 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I will establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is a sign of the covenant that I make between you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. As I read that out loud, it's amazing and no mistake to it that there are so many themes that just keep getting repeated throughout the passage. Um, Pay attention to that as you read it. There's... We'll get into it a little bit. But when you hear something constantly being coming up, and it almost sounds like, like a broken record. I guess you guys would know about broken records. <laughs> I made a comment to somebody 
um, in the store a few weeks ago about about CDs, and I'm like, I don't even know what a CD is. I'm like, oh my goodness, I just aged about 50 years right in front of this clerk's eyes. But for a minute, let me come back around here. For a minute, put yourself in Noah's sandals. He just very literally saw God destroy everything. Beyond as far as the eye could see. Noah could see all of surviving, if Noah found the right spot on the ark, he could probably see all of surviving creation from one spot. Imagine what he feels like as this conversation is going on. I know, for me, I'd be a little bit unhinged having the God who just destroyed the world talking to me. So God puts his mind at ease a little bit. With this fact, one of those themes that keeps getting repeated through these couple of passages, that God has enacted the covenant. Covenant being uh, another word that we often associate with promise. It says, I, the Lord, on my own, I make this covenant. I make this promise to you and your family and the future generations and all the earth and every living thing that is on the ark. He didn't consult Noah. He didn't have a, a sit-down or a, even a stand-up meeting with Noah. Hey, let's work this out between us here. It wasn't the last will and testament of the creation that spent the last two months drowning. But it continues a promise and realizing, how do I hit the reboot button on creation? Start all over. And yet still hold to what I said to Satan. This is God thinking this up. How do I still hold to what I said to Satan in Genesis 3? After sin had been introduced into creation's story. When he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and hers. He ultimately talking about Jesus, will strike your head and you will strike his heel. How do I keep that promise, that threat that I made to Satan, and hit the reset button? Well, God ends up taking all, this is one of the few times that he takes all the limits and he puts it on himself. It's the only covenant in those that we're going to go over over these next couple weeks that I can think through that God doesn't have some, something that he's calling creation to respond with. Some action that humanity is going to do. He says, rather, this is all on me. This is the, the way I'm going to proverbially bind my hands. That I'm not going to destroy creation with water again. With a flood again. Now, his commands that come a little bit earlier in this conversation in Genesis 9 um, are simple. They're calls to action, yes, but they are restatements of humanity's calling that it had happened back at the dawn of creation. Be fruitful and multiply. Um, you know, take care of creation. Be stewards of this creation that I have. Now you can have animals for food. That's a part of it. But these are human responsibilities and, and callings 
that they had received before any of this stuff had happened, before this reset button had, had gone on. But again, one of the things that really gets unique, and this is where one of those things that keeps coming up, um, it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and the earth, um, between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. The covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth, and okay, God, we get it, all right? We get it here. Well, here's the reason why that theme keeps coming up and keeps coming up. That God has made his covenant with all of creation. Not just humanity. Again, one of the few, one of the only times I can think of that God makes a covenant, a promise that goes beyond humanity, that goes beyond his chosen people or his chosen line to work through. Now, yes, humanity is the one part of creation that has God's, God's image sort of imprinted into our DNA. But creation is still his handiwork. The trees that are out there changing colors are still his handiwork. The deer that run across um, wood lane at dusk are still his handiwork. The well, if you can see it, it's his handiwork. And he chooses, speaking of having created everything and all of it being something that he called good when he designed it, he uses a non-human element of creation to offer peace to Noah and his family. In verses 12 and 13, God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. That I have set my bow in the clouds and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. That God offers humanity what we know what we know as the rainbow. As a sign of his covenant. And I'm very, very specific to use the phrase, what we know as the rainbow. Because I don't want us to read, you know, we get this children's Sunday school idea of, here's the ark, and here's the water, and here's the rainbow, and we sort of hear rainbow when God's having this conversation but that's not the word that is in the text, is it? It says, I have set my bow in the clouds. It doesn't say rainbow. And, and though the word can be used for, to describe rainbow in all the other, what, like 75 times that the word for bow is used, it's not referring to a rainbow, you know, seven colors in the, in the sky. Let me set this up a bit to remind us of a fact of God that Moses writes in Exodus 15. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. The term, I have set my bow in the clouds, is referring to a hunting bow. A little bit broader picture, it's referring to a weapon. Something that was a sign, if you will, of God's militancy, 
of God being a warrior. And now rather than being a sign of, of that militant nature and, and that warrior nature, it functions as a sign of grace. That when you see my bow in the clouds, you will know that I have made a promise never again to destroy creation with water. Now I'm not going to make the case just as a sort of a sidebar if this was the first rainbow that ever existed or, or anything like that or if it had existed in the Garden of Eden. If you've seen some rainbows, you think, oh, this is definitely Garden of Eden worthy. I've seen a few of those in my day. Just naturally speaking, if I can dare to um, bring what God created as, that we know as the law, laws of physics into a message about God's choosing to work, I mean, what we know as a rainbow is light that has been, it hits the clouds and it's refracted and reflected and, and shows its different wavelengths and that's how we get the different colors that we see in, um, in the sky. But God gives that natural phenomena a new meaning. Now we've had, certainly, as we were talking about before, church, a lot of rain lately. And it's, fortunately, I guess in our little corner of North Avenue, it hadn't been too horrible as far as you know, remnants and everything like that. Uh, but you go further down south and we were riding down uh, 90... Uh, 25 the other yesterday and we see the rivers that kind of run through Phelps and all that and they're like you know almost ready to hit the road and it's like oh my goodness that is moving and that is a lot fuller than we should be seeing and and Marie was talking about you know locks that are almost underwater now and it's amazing especially when you see what they're like when it's kind of normal but the thing is we have a promise that God prom promised never again to destroy the world with water. And sometimes we can have those couple of days that's just nonstop coming. And there's those who might think, is this where we end? And if it were to keep going and keep going and keep going, I'm sure that thought comes across people's minds. You know, go out along the coast and people who experience hurricanes and it just... You know, what we have, we'd, like, like, we'd love to have that. Just that. Or you go out to California, we'd like, we love that water. Please put it on a shipping container and send it over to us so we can have water and get rid of these fires. But even in the midst of our fallenness and brokenness, we see what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy. He reminds us, if we, even if we are faithless, he, the Lord, remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So in a way, I'm going to start to, to use language that starts to bring this, um, ironically, I guess, into Reformation Day. The, the rainbow becomes a sign and a seal of God's covenant promise. It's common language that we use here in a Reformed tradition for sacraments. That there are signs and seals of what God has done. It's what one commentator calls the beautiful, immutable sign by which through the senses, the touch, taste, smell, sight, sound, 
that man is assured that God's promise stands free from violation. Sometimes called visible signs of an invisible grace. And consider the bread that we use in communion. We talk about Christ's body broken for us, and we literally break bread. A physical sign to remind us of the act of an invisible grace. We do the same thing with the cup, and we do, we can consider the water that we use in our other sacrament, the water we use in baptism. Now, I promise you, the times I've had the blessing of here of being able to baptize all three of our kids, I may have very well used this pitcher to gather the water from a random faucet in this building to do a baptism. I say that to emphasize that the water of baptism like the water in any random faucet, like the water that's been torrentially downpouring these last couple days, is two hydrogens and one oxygen combined a billion times. There is nothing special, unique about the water that we use. And yet, what is water good for? It's good for life. And we need water before we need food. It's good for washing, for to use another term, cleansing. A physical part of creation that reminds us of, proverbially, the cleansing that Jesus offers from our sin. Again, nothing unique, special about the water, or about the bread, or about the juice. But they are physical signs, and, and being one of those guys who, my very last um, my last stand against becoming a Christian was, I can't touch it. I can't see it. I can't put my hand on it or, or taste it. Well, God said, ha, guess what? We got communion. We got baptism. We got you covered, Brock. And God uses natural material to point out a supernatural reality. Now, to be sure, let's be honest about the situation as, as Noah's coming down off the ark on, on the mountain. Sin is still a part of the picture. Okay, the story's not over just because a righteous eight survived. And we know a little bit over this last year and a half. Noah and his eight sheltered in place for like two months. Okay? You can imagine the family feud that went on as they're just stuck on a boat with a bunch of animals and... I don't want to even think of what's on the bottom of a couple weeks of elephants being in the same capsule as me. And they get off the boat, and it only takes five verses before sin starts coming back into the picture. As Noah, um, this righteous man, blameless before God, gets drunk, and then his son sees him, and it just... Sin gets sort of reintroduced back into the picture. And, and over time, whole societies have started to make sinful ways their default ways of functioning again. 
And God said, you know what, I'm not going to destroy the world with water, but it, water might get withheld on occasion if sin starts to get too deep, as we see in Zechariah 14. If any of the families of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain among them. Prophets would say, all right, you're not going to get rain for your crops, which eventually lead to food, which eventually lead to survival. Babylon had been an empire that built its entire legacy on shedding blood. Well, they got their destruction foretold in Habakkuk, amongst other places as well, I believe. So I say all this to say, the central problem with sin has not been entirely dealt with just because the world got the reboot button hit. That ultimate victory isn't going to come for another couple of generations in the new covenant when Jesus comes and walks these paths, these trails, maybe even dodges the deer, if there are deer in the Middle East, I'm not entirely sure. And in the new creation that we hear about in the book of Revelation, that's when the problem of sin gets finally dealt with. When the covenant of grace becomes unconditional for us, because Jesus fulfilled all the conditions. So as I thought about what in the world all this means, I get reminded God used creation. And, and God, in the midst of hitting the reboot button on creation, God used creation as a sign of grace, as a sign of when we could go before God and think, are you going to strike me down with lightning for coming to you with my prayer of confession? And yet God, with the power to destroy the world, puts his bow in the sky as a sign of grace. The sign of, yes, you can still come. You can come because I dealt with the problem between us definitively, once and for all. So this week, Pay special attention to those small signs of God working. Be acutely aware. Maybe it is a rainbow. You know, it's going to rain still for another at least day or two. Maybe you'll get to see the very bow in the, in the clouds that we're talking about. Maybe it'll be the fact you've got food in the fridge. Okay, if you've ever dealt with seeing more fridge than food... You know, it's a blessing. Maybe it'll be the verse that you read or the comment that a friend makes, even just, it seems like totally out of the blue. And yet God knows that was what you needed. Imagine what the week would look like if we all were just acutely aware of those little blessings. Imagine what that week would look like. Then go live it out. Live that week. Let's pray together. Lord, it seems like we should be so afraid. Knowing what you have the power to do. 
We should be so afraid to come, but you choose to reach out to us with grace. You choose to write a story that deals with the problem of sin that separates us from you. So help us, help us to know we can come to you when we need help, when we need forgiveness, when we need to experience that grace in a new and fresh way. Help us to see those little signs of grace throughout our day. And in each of them to give thanks to you. All this we pray in your name. Amen.